Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Let the love of the brethren continue. Verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by it some have entertained angels without knowing it. Third John, the letter, third John, verses five and ten, five through ten. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers. And they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with truth. I wrote something to the church, but Diophatries, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, I, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words and not satisfying, not satisfied with this. He himself does not receive the brethren either, and he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Amen. Our gracious God and Father, we come to you now in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. And we do ask this morning that you would help us to see that all of us need to grow in our understanding of God's Word, yes. And as we grow in our understanding of your Word, Lord, that we also would, would be given the grace and the strength to obey your Word. And so for, therefore, this morning, as we hear your Word, Lord, let us see in which ways we might better understand and obey your word. Lord, with that said, give us hearts that are receptive to your word. Help these words to be received as God's word and not as a word or an opinion of man. I decrease that you may increase. Be glorified in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I greet you again in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and I do once again welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath. Uh, this morning, we will pause our normal exposition through the book of Genesis in order to return to a sermon that you may or may not remember that we did about a month and a half ago on brotherly love or on love for the saints. Therefore, uh, with that said, we are going to uh, think about this morning hospitality, hospitality. Brothers and sisters, what do you think of when you hear the word hospitality? Think about this. In all of your times uh, alive as a human being, when have you been shown the greatest deal of hospitality? Who has been most hospitable to you in all of your life? It might be interesting for you to know that the word hospitality comes from the word hospital. Hospitals, as we know, are 
usually large buildings where doctors and nurses tend to the sick and needy. However, in the Middle Ages, hospitals were used for even broader purposes. Hospitals were shelters, shelters for the poor and needy. Hospitals were inns for weary travelers. Hospitals and hospital comes from the Latin word hospice. Many of us do not want hospice to come into our homes, do we? But it comes from a Latin word which means host. A hospital was intended to be a place of hospitality. It, was, it is where we get our word hotel from. And I know I'm doing a lot of entomology this morning, but it's a place where we are hosted. It's interesting that when we think of hotels, we often imagine places where we lodge on holidays. Contrasted by hospitals, the place where we go when we are sick, injured, or in great need. Dear ones, originally, there was no distinction between the two, for they were one and the same. Originally, they were both places where we could be hosted. Originally, they were both places where we could be tended to and refreshed. The hospital was supposed to be, by entomology and by design, a place where you were hosted and cared for. Brothers and sisters, the writer to the Hebrews, the Apostle John, and later the Apostle Paul, are all giving the command from the Lord that, listen, our homes and our churches must be hospitals. Our homes and our churches must be, by the command of God, hospitals. No matter the condition of your home or church, be they modest or be they lavish, they are commanded by God to be hospitals in the fullest sense of the word. They ought to be a place where people, image bearers of God, are hosted they ought to be a place where needs are being met, physical needs, spiritual needs. They ought to be a place where people, image bearers of God, are refreshed by people of God. Where there is good conversation, where the weariness from this world is relieved, where family members are treated like treasured guests and where treasured guests are treated like family. So then, with a, I think, proper understanding of the word hospitality firmly established, let us then consider four considerations this morning that spring forth from these two texts that we'll be using this Lord's Day. Our first consideration will be this, hospitality in context. Hospitality in context. And we are speaking specifically about the context of Third John, and we'll get to Hebrews' context. Here in John's third letter, we are given a portrait of two men, and they are contrasting portraits. On the one hand, if you read verse 1 through 5, we have a man by the name of Gaius, 
or Gaius, Gaius. The first one says, the elder to the Gaius of whom I love in the truth. John testifies that this was a beloved Christian, a beloved Christian man named Gaius. And why is John commending this man, Gaius? John is commending this man, Gaius, because Gaius has been hospitable. He was being commended for welcoming and being hospitable toward missionaries who were traveling. Now, this is not explicitly stated, but when we read between the lines, we can safely assume that Gaius was welcoming in missionaries. They were strangers that were welcomed by him. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ was reaching the nations at this time. The glorious news of the gospel was being carried from one place to another by faithful witnesses. And as they traveled, as they planted, as they built, Gaius was one of the ones who carried or brought in those who were carrying the gospel and cared for them with wonderful Christian hospitality. In verse 5, the Apostle John calls the act of Gaius a faithful act. He calls his hospitality one of faithfulness. Why? Because those who carried the gospel were brothers in Christ. But even though they were brothers in Christ, they were still strangers to the church that they were visiting. And we might imagine it going something like this. There's an announcement being made on the Lord's Day Sabbath that there are brothers who are traveling with the gospel and they need a place to stay. Is there anyone that can host them? And you can imagine maybe the church was as quiet as you have just been now. Until Gaius raises his hand and says, I, I would be happy to host these brothers who are bringing the gospel to our city. Faithful Gaius raises his hand and agrees to be hospitable to them. And what a wonderful blessing that it has been that Gaius has been commended in the scriptures for all of these thousands of years now, 2,000 plus years. And he is a man who has been enshrined in the scriptures simply for being hospitable to other believers. He's the man who welcomes the stranger. He's the man who gives lodge to the needy. He's the man who refreshes them on their journey. He's a man who is essentially like a doctor who welcomes them into his hospital. And we are commended, brothers and sisters, to follow that faithful example. In doing so, he has received the blessing not only of commendation, but also in participation in their missionary ventures. He, he joins them in their missionary work by hosting them. He receives the blessing that they will receive by being a part of their mission simply by being a good host to them. Obeying the command to open up his home. He has helped the cause of the gospel to go out because he has obeyed the command to welcome those who bring the gospel in. Praise God for that. Gaius is a faithful witness and a faithful brother. And if Gaius is, is the, the example of what we must follow, Diopatres is the example of what we should not follow. 
What is the Apostle John's faithful witness of Diotrephes? Well, verse 9 says that he loves to be first. Verse 10 says he unjustly accused the, the apostles with wicked words. He slandered the apostles. He was obviously known by the church. He was one who apparently had made some kind of confession of faith. But it appears that he was one about which John says they have gone out from us to show that they are not one of us. Diotrephes does not accept apostolic authority. He unjustly accused the, ap the apostles and slanders them with wicked words. And what is more, he refuses to welcome those who are sent by the apostles. Those who are sent with the message of Christ, he says, they can't stay here. They can't stay with me, and they can't stay with anybody else in this city as well. They were unwelcomed because Diopatries would not allow them to be welcomed. John says that he loves to be first among them. Among who? Well, he, see, he saw himself as being somewhat equal to, and, in, and according to John's words, even greater than the apostles. Who are they that they should give me any kind of instructions? I give them instructions. They don't tell me what to do. I tell them what to do. He would not submit himself to those whom he should have submitted himself to. He would not welcome the brothers and not let anyone else do so either. This was a very serious sin. And John says, and when I come, I'll tell you more about it. This refusal to obey the command to be hospitable. Now, why was this such a grievous sin? Hospitality was and is a sign of fellowship, a sign of support. And to deny the support of someone who is on your team, that is an inexcusable sin. To be unhospitable to someone who is your brother, who is your sister, is an inexcusable sin. During this time, there was not a hotel on every street corner like there is today. When missionaries and the like traveled, they were usually dependent upon others for support. Therefore, if you are traveling to one city, to one town, and you don't know anyone there, you're depending upon the church to be hospitable to you. You're depending upon those who would even be strangers. And though they be strangers, you are on the same team to support you. Why? So that the gospel will not stop there. So that the gospel can keep advancing and going forward. When we provide for our family and for our friends, we do what's expected of us, don't we? But when we open up our homes to strangers, specifically those who are bringing the gospel, that is a true display of real Christian hospitality and brotherly love. This message is connected to our message on brotherly love. Spreading the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in the early church was highly dependent upon Christians that were being hospitable to one another. Something as simple and as wonderful as opening up your home was necessary for the expansion of the early church. The Bible says in Acts chapter 21, listen to this, 21 verse 7, this is Paul speaking. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived in Protolemus. 
After greeting the brethren, we stayed for a day with them. On the next day, we left and came to Caesarea. And entering the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, we stayed with him. Just in these few verses, we have three locations. And in each location, the believers are being welcomed and hosted, apparently by Christians who are displaying Christian love through hospitality. In doing so, the message of the gospel was able to go forth and spread throughout the world. Second John 7 through 11, hospitality was so important that believers are commanded not to give hospitality to false teachers. It is so important and so vital for the message of the gospel is spreading that John commands, and if someone is bringing to you a false message, a false gospel, do not show hospitality to them. Why? So that their message will not have a place to land, to rest, to be fresh, and to go on, but rather their message will find no landing place, and therefore their message cannot spread. Don't welcome Antichrist into your home. Now, this doesn't mean that we should not have non-Christians into our homes. Welcome them in. Share the gospel with them. But we should not aid and abet the mission of those who oppose the gospel, especially those who are preaching a false gospel. I was doing a job, and I'll say this uh, briefly, a few months ago. Uh, it is a job or house of people that we know very well. And I felt a sort, certain kind of comfort when a false message came to the door, a message that said God is actually a woman who lives in, in Korea right now, and you need to worship him and her, them together, bringing this message to the house that I was very familiar with. I said, what are you preaching? And they said so, and I said, oh, excuse me, uh, we'll see you later. I shut the door on our customer and also on the face of the person who was bringing the false gospel, and I said to them, you are teaching heresy. And a false gospel. That's what we should do to those who are bringing false gospels. Don't give them a second. Don't give them a second unless you're willing. They are willing to allow you to tell them the true gospel. And once you tell them the true gospel. If they're willing to accept it. Bring them in. If they're not shut the door. Go on. You have no housing. No, no hospitality here. We should encourage and refresh those who are on the same team as us to help the gospel spread. So then, at the end of this, I have a question for you. Which man are you more like? Are you more like Diopatris, who likes to put himself first? Or are you more like Gaius, who is loving the brethren and who wants to be hospitable to them? Do you have love for the brethren so much that you war warmly welcome them or are you cold and unwilling to be warm to the saints? Secondly, the command of love and hospitality. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1, Let the love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. You may well remember the sermon that we taught from this text just about a month and a half ago or so. That love for the brethren as we run this race is shown as we brother hand in, claps in, in brother's hand 
run this race together. That we are not brothers who are at the starting line saying, let's see who gets there first. I bet you I'll beat you. We are not competing with one another. Rather, we are working together. And the way that we are showing that we are working together, the way that we show that our eyes are fixed on Christ is when we have love for one another. Uh, We show that we do not have our eyes fixed upon Christ when we do not have love for uh, each other. We show that our, our eyes are not fixed on Christ when our love is only for our little circle of family that we have here and no one else. That my concern is only for us four and no more. We are not given the freedom to determine and to define what love for Christ looks like. We are not given the freedom to define and to determine what love for others looks like. Christ is the one who defines what love for the brethren looks like. Christ is the one who defines what love for Him looks like. And one of the ways that Christ says that you can show that you love me is this. When we do not Neglect to show hospitality to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, what does it mean for me to love you? Be hospitable to your brother. That's the theme that follows in the New Testament. And it's interesting that when we see the word love in the New Testament, love for the brethren, we also see the word hospitality not too far behind. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. We will look at two passages, Romans 12 and then 1 Peter 4. Romans chapter 12. Verse 9 and 10 says this, 9 through 12. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoice in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted in prayer to contributing to the needs of the saints. Listen, practicing hospitality. All of these different ways in which we love and the apostle does not leave out. Be hospitable. First Peter chapter four. Verses eight and nine. For those who are being persecuted. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. How will we do that? Peter, be hospitable to one another without complaint. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Love one another with fervent love. And these were those who were being uh, who were in the midst of great persecution by the, the leaders of Rome. And Peter says to them, even in the midst of their persecution, even in the midst of great and intense pain, be other-oriented. Be other-minded. In spite of what you may be going through, all that you are going through in your life, don't let your world revolve around only you. If you are to be a saint of Christ, if you are to be a believer in Christ, one who follows and keeps your eyes on Christ, you cannot keep your eyes only on yourself. But I'm going through something. That's the best time to keep your eyes on someone else. Life is difficult for me right now. 
That's the best time for you to get your eyes then off of you. Isn't it? When you're going through things and life is difficult for you, the worst thing for you to do is turn inside of yourself and to, get to look in to see, wow, it's really that bad in here, isn't it? Go out there. Look outside of yourself. You'll see that, that you're not the only one who's carrying a cross. The texts are clear. Being hospitable is not an option. It's a command. And a chief way that we show love for one another. We must not hear these verses and, and any command from the Lord for that matter. And immediately resolve in our own hearts and our own, in our own minds. I'm not doing that. Rather, we must hear the words of God and declare all that God has commanded. I will obey. And Lord, help me with my weaknesses. Does this mean that we must invite people over to our homes? And if we don't, then we are in sin. Not entirely. Listen now. There are some circumstances where it's just not, it's not possible for you to invite people into your homes. You may have an unbelieving spouse who opposes Christ, who wants nothing to do with the church, and who, refu who refuses to allow anyone from the church into your home. It's an understandable circumstance. You may be living in a situation where you're renting a room in a house, a house that's not yours, even though the room is yours. And the people of the house will not allow you to invite people into the home. Understandable. There are a variety of circumstances that may prevent us from being hospitable in our homes, and in which case you would not be in sin. But if we are completely able there is nothing holding you back from being hospitable except your own sin. Then we must repent to the Lord and begin to ask ourselves why we have neglected this command. But we must also remember that while having someone in our homes may at times be challenging, each time we gather in this place on the Lord's Day, we are given a wonderful opportunity to be hospitable towards one another here. We may not have had people over in the past month or two or three or maybe all year. We may not have had the opportunities or at least not obeyed the command to bring people over in the past year. But have you been warm to people when they come here? There's... Nothing from preventing you and I from gathering here. There's nothing preventing you and I from being warm to one another, to the saints when we gather for worship here. When the saints gather for worship, are you warm in your greeting toward them? Or are you cold? Do you simply slip out the side door undetected so that nobody will talk to you? Or are you looking for people to talk to? Are you glad to see the saints? You are rummaging and rubbing elbows with unbelievers all week. You are hoping that someone will at least hear something that you've got to say about God. Well, you've come on the Lord's Day, and everyone is willing to hear what you've got to say about God. You come on the Lord's Day, 
And everybody at least is willing to pray with you. You're hoping for friends. God, send me a friend. Someone who's a believer, Lord. Well, you're sitting among people this morning who are believers. Are you going out of your way to make sure that the saints are warmly greeted? That that you are treating them generously? What do I mean by generously? I wasn't pulling out money. My phone was bothering me in my pocket. Y'all thought I was about to give some money away. (laughs) No. Uh, Are you generous with your time? Listen, all of us, for the most part, including myself, we're brown-collar workers here. All we have to give is time. And are you generous with it? Or are you showing what you would do with money if you have as much as some other people do? Meaning that you are just as stingy with your time as you would be with your money if you had it. Because as a saint, we are called to be warm to one another, to be generous toward one another, and all we have to give to each other is our time, our attention, our love, our concern, our care. And if we're not willing to give even some of these basic things that are required of believers or that we would expect that people would do for other image bearers, even those who are in Christ, then what are we really doing here? Well, I'm waiting for someone to be warm to me. Do you see this place as a type of hospital where you are given the opportunity to care for, to tend to, to meet the needs of the saints? Not just your best friend who sits on the right side, top corner, left side, on the side. You know what I mean. To the saints. As a saint, do you make other saints feel accepted and welcomed? We are commanded to love. And the way that we show love is by opening not just our doors, but our hearts toward one another. Do you see how this command is other-oriented? It's about others. I just said a minute ago, I'm, I'm waiting for someone to be warm to me. It's not about what others can do for you. Matter of fact, all of the Christian life is not about what others can do for you. It's about what you, to quote John F. Kennedy, it's about what you can do for others. And when we function in that kind of way, there's a, there's a buzzword today. And the buzzword in churches is, I want community. I want more community. What's stopping you? What's stopping us from being a community, a family of faith? Christian hospitality is opening our hearts and our homes to the stranger. Listen, but also to the traveler, but also to the lonely, also to the unloved, and possibly even to the unlovely. And many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, know that we can oftentimes be unlovely, can't we? By choice, even, and sometimes not even by choice. By, by knowing it, and sometimes without even knowing it. I didn't even know I was that way. Thanks for bringing it to my attention. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. And it's costly, isn't it? 
Sadly, many of us have been worshiping together for years, and yet, because of our lack of hospitality, we are strangers to one another. We really don't know each other the way we ought. Some of you may tell me where you're born. I'd say, I didn't even know you. I thought you were born here. Some of the very basic and simple things about who we are. And how many among us this morning are lonely and are desiring and longing for even true Christian fellowship? How many long for the the Lord's Day? Because it is that glorious day when the saints gather together in unity and worship our triune God. And yet when we do, you feel as though you're worshiping in isolation. And so, to return to a point that I've just said, there's a great trend, another one, in the modern church, and it is to organize hospitality. You guys may have heard of this trend. It's called small groups. This church has a small group. They have a small group. Small group here, small group there. Here a small group, there a small group. Everywhere a small group, small group. And what is small groups? It's where people meet in their homes. It's where people pray together. They study God's word together. And there is a type of intimacy that is taking place in that home that is desired among the saints. And praise God for those small groups. Don't misunderstand me. I praise God for them. But those small groups have only been formed because we as a church have neglected to take this command seriously upon ourselves. We look for a church that says, well, do they have small groups? Not going to go. Start your own small group. You want people to come over your house? You want people to pray with? Here's a, here's a novice idea. Invite them over. Well, I don't know if the church allows it. The church is encouraging you to do it. The elders of the church are saying, do this. Please invite someone over your house. Go have lunch with them. Go have coffee with them. If, if you can't bring them over your home, meet them at Starbucks. Go to McDonald's. You don't got to get elaborate. You don't need to meet at the Mark or at the, the Padre. You can take me there, but you don't need to meet everybody else there. Take them somewhere small. It doesn't need to be big, a big-time deal. There's nothing stopping you and I from inviting, and I'm speaking to myself, that's why I say you and I, people into our homes, spending time with them, reading the scriptures with them, getting to know them on a more intimate level. There should be no one in this church who feels alone. There should be everyone in this church who says, I can call this sister or that brother at any time, and I know they will be there to answer my call. True Christian fellowship will be one where these lonely outcasts will feel accepted and embraced and loved. Our churches, by command and by design, must be a type of hospital. When we come for worship, we should feel like we've come in from the battle of the world against the world of flesh and the devil. And now we are loved. We are cared for. We are we are being tended to. We don't want to come in and feel like we've just been thrown into the morgue along with the other dead bodies. Well, I'm waiting for someone to do that for me. Stop. Go do it for someone else. Thirdly. Are there challenges? Yes, there are challenges. But are there blessings as well? Yes, there are. Third point is challenges and blessings. There will always be challenges when practicing hospitality. Let's just deal, let's 
deal with the elephant in the room. Frankly, some people are just not our cup of tea. Right? Uh, he's a Dodger fan. I'm a Yankee fan. I don't see how this could ever work. Right? We have nothing in common. And they're very difficult to love. So are you. So are you and I. When we think about the difficulties of others uh, uh, and, and the things that cause us or at least hinder us in loving them as, as we feel like we would like to, if they just weren't like this, we need to start saying, but I'm also like this as well. And so if they are willing to put up with all of my sinful ways, I should be able to put up with all of theirs as well. Why? Because the Bible actually commands it. The Bible actually commands for you to bear with one another. How? In love. In love, bear with one another. So, now that we've got that out there, that's at least one of the challenges. And what's the remedy to it? Well, look at your own sin, and then remember that Christ commands that you bear with them in spite of their sin. Because they're bearing with you in spite of yours. Just because it's hard to love someone doesn't mean that we're not required to love them. Just because it's difficult to be hospitable doesn't mean that we're free from the command to be hospitable. It's challenging, right? Here's another challenge. Peter says, and do this without grumbling. You know what grumbling means? My, wife, my mom, she's from the old school, so she uses that old uh, New King James Version or King James Version word, grumbling. Don't grumble. It's complaining. This is the complaint that Peter says that we are not supposed to do when we are inviting people over to our homes. And imagine that. Uh, inviting them over for hospitality and complaining while you are being hospitable. I wish they would go home. They had to bring their kids. Look at they're eating all the food. Did you see what they did to the yard? They just pulled out the sprinkler. These are all things that have happened. <laughs> complaining about all of the ways in which their presence is a burden to you. Peter says, then don't bring them over. Don't bring them over and don't complain about it. Rejoice in it. There's a variety of things that we could be honest about that are a challenge when it comes to hospitality. Anything from not having a clean house, or listen to this, a clean enough house for some people. Because some Christians will come in with their white glove and say, whoop, not saved. Look at that. I found dust. Dirty home, dirty heart. <laughs> dirty home to not having an abundance of food. We all know that we would love to serve filet mignon for all of us. But it's just not possible. Another complaint maybe, but the kids are just not on their, on their best behavior. Or my house is not big enough. Some feel that the challenge might be... Uh, I'm a natural introvert. I'm shy. I'm not really good when it comes to conversation. And I may be tempted to ask, what are we going to talk about? I'm not good with keeping up conversations. Believe it or not, your pastor is a natural introvert. I am naturally shy. I am naturally someone who wants to be alone. It takes a great deal of grace from God and strength to go out of my way. 
I feel most comfortable alone, at least with my alone and with my family. It takes work. What are we going to talk about? I love this phrase that I heard this past week. Give the give people, give saints, listen to this, the gift of your curiosity. I love that phrase. The gift of your curiosity. What does that mean? Ask them questions about what? About themselves. My dad used to say, people love to talk about themselves. So ask them questions about themselves. Now, there's some people who don't like to talk about themselves. I'm really good at, at, at asking as many questions as I can. If you say one thing, I'll, I'll pick up on one thing that you've said to ask another question about what you've just said. Ask people about themselves. Where are you from? Where are you born? What was your childhood like? Ask them a whole bunch of things. You'll get to know that maybe you have a lot more in common with them than you realize. Now, here's the other challenge. What if I don't care? That's a challenge, isn't it? Because for many of us, I don't really care. That's why I don't want to ask. Then ask the Lord to help you to care. Why? Because they're a saint. And so are you. And whether you like it or not, if you're a saint, you'll spend the rest of eternity with them. And you must care. You've been commanded to. Some might feel embarrassed again by, you know, aforementioned things such as food or space or cleanliness. Some people outdated furniture. Or maybe you live in a rough neighborhood. And you may be embarrassed about what people might think about your neighborhood. And some may even just say, I just don't have the time. Then we need to ask, well, why are you so busy? Is the busyness of your life so necessary that you cannot make some time for the saints? The point is this, dear ones. We can think of a million things in our lives that we don't think are perfect in the world's eyes or maybe in our own eyes. But it is more important more biblical for us to welcome believers into our homes than it is for them to see that everything that we have in our life is absolutely perfect. Neighborhood is perfect. Food is perfect. House is perfectly clean. Furniture is up to date. All of those things are less important. It's, oh, it's more important for them to see that you have opened up your heart than to see a home that is perfect, well-organized, and where food is plentiful. To tell the truth... This is life for most of us. For most of us, if we're honest, the trash still needs to be taken out. And it smells like fish in the house. Unfolded clothes are still on the couch. And they'll remain there unless someone comes, and then I'll throw them in the dryer. Kids' toys are still on the floor. I stepped on one last night. Cobwebs are forming in the corners of our homes. That's now my pet. We make do with what is in the fridge. Because we usually eat leftovers anyways. And all of you are laughing and smiling because that's normally our lives. And it's okay for people to see, you're just like me. You've got cobwebs and dust, unfolded clothes. And concerning our time, if we're honest, we're just mostly selfish with our time because we want to use it on things that really don't matter anyways. I like my time on my YouTube. I like my time trying to get through all season of the Clone Wars on Disney. I'm on season two. We could do more of it. We just don't want to because of our sinfulness. And we need to ask the Lord to help us there. We must not be more concerned with what our houses look like over what our hearts look like by welcoming people into our homes. And what are the blessings? 
There are blessings to this command. By exercising this command, the writer of the Hebrews has said this. Think about this. By exercising this command, some have entertained angels without even knowing it. Now, this was more in terms of missionaries who were traveling. But he's referring to Genesis chapter 18. When Abraham was at his tent and three men came to visit him. Two of them are angels. One was the Lord himself. And what was Abraham doing on that day? He was simply being hospitable. He welcomed them into his home and into his heart. And thereby the Lord blessed him in a very special way. Opening your homes is not opening yourselves up to poverty, which we might think. It's opening up your homes and opening up your heart and even your lives to a blessing. The blessing to which even the Lord himself comes in in a special way. Matthew chapter 10, the Lord Jesus says, whoever receives you, receives me. This is how important Christ viewed hospitality. When we warmly welcome other Christians into our home, especially those who are on mission, it's as though we are receiving Christ himself. And if we are receiving Christ, then we're receiving the Father who sent him. Think of hospitality as a way of then encouraging and loving Christ himself. Matthew 25 says, Christ said, whatever you did to the least of these, whether it was water, whether it was food, whatever thing that you did, even for those who are deemed in our eyes, is not very special. Christ says, you have done it for me. How wonderful is that? And when we are bringing the saints and we are encouraging the saints, it's as though we are encouraging Christ himself. Are we not a part of his body? Yes, we are. So then we should do our best to say, there's at least one person this month that I can invite into my home. There's at least one person this month that I can ask out to tea or to coffee. There's at least one person that I could say, hey, I'll treat you to McDonald's today. Not on the Lord's Day, obviously, but on another day. I'll treat you out. Let's go and let's share home together. Think about this. What if during our break time, some of us, instead of going home, brought people over to our homes? Or the weather is nice. We went to the park together. And we hung out. Some of us might want to join the readers. Dustin and Dinah, who every Lord's Day are saying, what are we going to do with ourselves today? Let's go to a park. And they're hanging out for four hours sometimes, out and about, just kind of killing time until they can come and worship with the saints again. Some of us would do well to say, you guys can come over to my house. I know you got a lot of kids, and Dustin will be listening to this, crazy kids, but bring them over. What a blessing that would be for them, right? 1 Peter 4, 8 says, above all, love each other. Love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality. Being in and out of our homes covers a multitude of sin, covers a multitude of misunderstandings. Listen to this. You bring people over, and though you might have thought they were kind of weird, you get a background of who they are, and you start to say, that makes a lot of sense. Now I have more compassion towards you. I see your background. I see how you've been raised. I see some of you, you didn't have a father in your life. You didn't have a mother in your life. I see some of you, your, your fathers maybe died early or your mothers died early. Or there was divorce in the family. And certain things begin to make sense about you. These are important ways that we learn more about each other. Some of us lived in certain ways where we had drug habits or different kinds of, of addictions. Things begin to make more sense to us. And what do we do? We begin to show more compassion toward one another. 
That's greatly encouraging. And you will never know the kind of encouragement that you might be to someone and what they might be to you. Unless we open up our hearts to them and are more hospitable. What a gift it will be when we give the gift of hospitality. Yes, we give away resources. Yes, we give away family time, food time, privacy time. But we get so much back in return. Think about it right now even. Who's at least one person, one couple, maybe a few, that you can invite over to your house in the month of March? Maybe not in March, maybe in, in, in April. Maybe you need to get things, some things together, but, but start thinking in that direction. Who can I invite over? Think about this. I asked you, who was the person or what was the time that, that someone was most hospitable to you? I asked that because I want to ask you, weren't you thankful for that? Well, if you've been thankful for the hospitality that's been shown to you, imagine what you can do for someone else. So that when they think, when was the time when someone was most hospitable to me, they can think of you. And what a blessing that would be. We are all different. And it is wonderful to be received when we know that we are different and yes, and yet we are still embraced. We don't realize what a blessing hospitality will be in the lives of others. I want to ask you this in, in closing and I've got one small point left, but I'd like you to ask yourself, what do I communicate to others when I come into this place? When I come here, am I communicating that I am cold? That I'm actually bothered by them and their presence? That I actually don't really want to talk to them? That I could care less if they were here? That I could care less if they lived or died? Or do I display that I, I actually care, that I'm warm toward them, that I want to be around the saints, and I'm not sitting somewhere by myself. Listen, me naturally, that's my natural disposition. But I'm called, and you are called as well, to gather with the saints for worship, not to put yourself in some kind of corner and isolate yourself. So if we're here, be here. If we're over there in the fellowship hall, be with us over there. If we're having class over there, come on over. You get nothing out of being by yourself. You can do that at home. Fourth and finally, why do all of this? And the point is because God is hospitable. Why does God require all of this of us? Because God is the epitome of hospitality. We are made in his image. Think about creation. Where, where do you live right now? You live on earth. Whose world is this? It's God's world, not yours. He's invited you into his creation. He's allowed you. When you go outside and you feel the warmth of the wonderful spring sun that's coming upon us, thank God for his hospitality. He's giving you warmth. When we are longing for rain, which we got over the weekend, Praise God that he's given it to you. When you need food and God provides, thank God for his hospitality. God has done this. And listen, he's done this in spite of the fact that you and I have rebelled against him. And in spite of the fact that we've rebelled against him, God has even said and promised that there will be a seed who will come and redeem us 
from this fallenness, from our sinfulness. God creates us to commune with Him, to fellowship with Him. And He will warmly accept us in His Son if we place our faith in Him. The Father gives the Son for us and for our salvation. So we, we should thank the Father for the Son and thank the Son for the Father and thank the Father for the Spirit who has sent His Spirit into our hearts that we might be His. If you are a believer, then you should ask, why is God requiring this of me? Because God is a host. And we are to follow His example. Think of Psalm 23. You ever read it this way? Two images there. The Lord is my shepherd and the Lord is my host. We know that He leads me in dark paths, that He is a light, that He is my strength. But do you know what the psalmist says toward the end of that? He prepares a table for me. He anoints my head with oil, which is what someone would do for a guest. And then He fills my cup until it overflows. You ever had someone pour you a glass? Sometimes when we have fellowship meals, this is all you're going to give me. And you look back to see, there's a whole bunch. Why did you just give me half a cup? God brings to us, as it were, a full overflowing cup. drink. But not only that, he prepares a room for me in the presence of my enemies. And he says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God is that kind of hospitable host who says, you don't have to leave. You know, we usually say... Uh, you you, got to go home, basically, right? I was thinking of another phrase, but I'm not going to say it. You all know what I was about to say. The Lord is my shepherd who leads the flock, who prepares a room for us. And isn't that what Jesus said? I'm making a meal. I'm filling your cup. The night of the betrayal of Jesus, they were in the upper room, and he's washing the feet. He's prepared, provided the meal in the Lord's Supper. He's the host and the feast. The only meal where the host serves himself. Think of the last day. He's the only groom who's he's the only groom who's planned his wedding. The great wedding feast, and there is Christ, the groom. He plans the wedding, he plans the reception, and he plans the eternal honeymoon. He gives us robes. He gives us a feast. He makes us clean. He even sends out invitations and bring others. Because he's provided a lavish banquet. And he is the epitome of hospitality. Therefore, we must follow his example. I'm excited. I'm thinking about, man, well, who could I have over? I'll have a few single guys over. I'll uh, see if my wife can maybe bring over some of the single ladies and and then we'll have some families over. Every single month, someone could be in my home. Now listen, when you come, all of the things that I've described as being uh, maybe embarrassments about our homes, that's my home. So when you come over, just, oh, you were telling the truth. This is what your home looks like. Yes. I told my wife, if we live in it, why can't we just invite other people to come and share, with them? share in it for a little while, right? If it's good enough for us to live in the way it is, it's good enough for others to see this is how we live. Think about who you would invite over to coffee, dinner, tea, whatever else. If you have time, invest it in the saints. 
you will reap wonderful dividends for it. Let's pray.